Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. I'm Richard Walensky. This is KPFA's Bay Area Theater podcast, featuring stage reviews, along with extended versions of interviews heard on Arts Waves on Cover to Cover. Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is a two-part sequel to J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter books and films. It's based on a new story by Rowling, Jack Thorne, and John Tiffany, and is written by Jack Thorne. It's now playing at the Current Theater in San Francisco. The play takes place as Harry, Hermione, and Ron are all turning 40, and their children are now attending Hogwarts. My guests are John Skelling, who plays Harry Potter, Yana McIntosh, who plays Hermione, and David Abelis, who plays Ron Weasley. All three are experienced actors with work in theater, television, and film. How familiar were you with the Harry Potter series, either the books or films, when you auditioned, John? I had seen all of the films um, when I had auditioned, but I had never read the books. And then once I had got the job as the understudy in New York, I immediately delved into all seven novels and finished them in a, maybe six, seven weeks. So you were just the understudy in New York? Uh, in, yeah, in New York, I was the understudy. How often did you actually get on? Uh, I think I went on about 10 times, doing both parts about 10 times. So it averaged out to about once a month. The play's in two parts. The first time you did it, was it more exhausting than you figured it would be? <laughs> yes. The first time I did it, I was on my way into the theater, and I got a phone call from our stage manager at about 12.15. We had to be there for 12.30 for warm-up. And he said, Jamie's out, and you're on as Harry today. I'd rehearsed it and teched it, but I hadn't done a put-in rehearsal or anything. So I had about an hour and a half to get ready and make my Broadway debut as Harry Potter. I was there all, all day Saturday, did both shows, my wife was out of town. I called her. I said, I'm going on. She was like, good luck. Bye. I actually had my audition for the San Francisco company the next morning. So I was lying in bed trying to get some sleep the night after. Of course, my adrenaline was pumping. And uh, yeah. For that first performance, um, how was it getting through all your lines? I got most of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think actually I missed, I only missed one. And it was in the very last scene, like the second to last line. And I got off stage and everyone was shaking my hand and going, you did it, you did it. And I went, I messed up the line. They said, shut up, go out there and bow. <laughs> well, you didn't mess up any of the magic tricks, I hope. No, I think I got all of those right. <laughs> David, were you also an understudy? I was, yeah. I understudied um, Paul Thornley, who, who originated the role, Ron. And um, I also was in the ensemble and played some small parts. It was a little bit different than... Well, no, I, uh, yeah, a little bit. John came on as mostly a standby for Harry, and then, but I believe was on, also covered a few other things. Mm -hmm. And I covered both the track of Ron and another track, but I, don't, I, I really was there to cover Ron. There's an actor who plays the Sorting Hat and Hagrid, and so I covered that track as well. You auditioned again for this. Right, yes, I did. Another kind of strange turn of events, it happened later... We had discussed coming out to San Francisco, but had decided against it, my family and I. And then in the final week of the contract uh, in New York, the, again, the creative team came to me and said, we're having some trouble finding, finding our Ron for San Francisco. Where do you stand on that? And I said, again, you know, it would 
I just needed to make sense for my family to go out. And they said, well, why don't you come in an audition and we can talk about that, you know, later. And so on the last day of my contract in New York, the last morning I went in for the audition for everybody and then uh, closed the show or closed my run in the show with, with all of the rest of our original cast. And then the next day had an offer. So then we went right back to work talking about coming to San Francisco. Were you completely familiar with the books and the films? Really similarly to John, I had seen the films. And I remember when the books first came out, I was, I think, shortly after I was living in London. So I remember, I think, when the second and third books came out, I was living there. So I read those at the time. I had read the first four, I think. And then that fell away a little bit, but I watched all the films. And then uh, and then the job came along and I started back in the books and started, though, reading, because I had seen the films, I started by reading our, our play script. Question for all of you, which is that when you are taking up someone else's role and they created the role, well, in this case, I guess the New York cast hadn't created London. The original leads from London who had created the roles in the first place all came over to do the roles in, the, in New York. We had some in secondary leads who were, you know, American, but all seven of the original cast leads came to New York. And I think when you're covering a role or a performance in on Broadway and it's somebody else playing the part, that's a different responsibility. You, you have a responsibility to kind of step into the show that you're that you're a part of. But what's exciting about this is that we're this is the first production in San Francisco. So we've had a lot of leeway and to try our own things and to create characters. I mean, I know Yana is coming to this fresh. And so she's brought something completely new and original to that. And we've tried to you know stretch a bit and make some choices that maybe are our own and and the creative team that rehearsed us here as apart from another production and that's the same for you john yeah i mean i can't help but be influenced by the performance that i learned in new york and in a very positive way um i learned the show watching really great actors do it and yeah. so i am of course influenced by what they've done um and and then it's it becomes about integrating it into my own being really and making it feel like it's me you know yana in your case is the new york hermione is she african-american too or? i believe so yeah noma right he <laughs> said from london was the original hermione she was black and uh the decision was made i guess to continue with that had you been to london seen any of the performance no in fact when i auditioned all I knew is that books about Harry Potter existed and there were some movies. And I remember uh, news reports of kids lining up for, you know, overnight to get the new edition of whatever book was coming out. And when I got the request for the audition, I was, I said to my agent, aren't these like little like British prep school kids? Like what's going on here? And she said, no, no, she's older. She's older. <laughs> and, uh, and so I went in for the audition knowing very little. And they asked me, so have you read all the Harry Potter, like, no, I haven't. <laughs> and then, of course, once uh, once I got them, I got the role, I started reading the books. I actually listened to them on my way across the country from, from Canada. And I fell in love with Hermione. I love the character. I love her spirit. I love her intelligence. And that's what I responded to in building my Hermione for this production. Well, you also have a, a great role in that you get to play Hermione in various different states, which are really different than, you know, what David gets to play. Yeah, it's a gift, actually. I've, I've been thinking about that more and more as I uh, 
run it now more and more, more frequently. And it's a lot of fun. It's a great ride. She gets to transform in and out of uh, different states uh, throughout both parts. And um, that's, that's always a gift for an actor. When you're getting into the character, you've read the books and you have your script. Is there any particular process that you, Yana, take to really get into the character beyond that? For me, the script is the first thing. And then the people that I'm playing with is another huge input for me when I'm building a character. So as as David was saying, you know, we felt like we were given a fair amount of leeway, being the, the original San Francisco company, to diverge a little bit from what was in New York. And so that was very fertile ground to just be able to say, you know, okay, so here here are here are we playing this couple. What do we think about that? So from the script, from my research, reading the books, and playing with my fellow actors is really what goes into the pot. Is there any point where you are on stage and you're going, holy crap, I'm Hermione? You know what? Yes. (laughs) Actually, yes. But it'll be in weird places. Like, it actually isn't... That doesn't come to me on stage as much as it does backstage waiting to go on at certain points what about for you playing harry yeah definitely in fact speaking of like the first time i went on i remember um there was one scene maybe three or four scenes into the play and i was standing there with my arms crossed and i could feel my heart beating through my chest (laughs) at about a million beats per minute and uh, that crossed my mind you go you're playing harry potter right now you're harry potter and then i thought i need to focus on what i'm doing or i'm going to be lost and um and that thought does Every once in a while, kind of come flash across your mind, and then you think, "No, I got to focus on my scene partner. I got to stay in the moment. I got to be in this play." How aware are you of the audience? Fairly aware. Yeah. I mean, there it's always a, a balance between um, talking and being with your fellow actor, and also having that sort of third eye out, aware of what they're experiencing and how they're experiencing it. So that's what makes it interesting every night: is that every audience is new and different. And so they react to things differently. And we then have to adjust the way we play um, based on those reactions, whether it's timing or just getting a feel. scene partner on any given night, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Not that they're going to make you, well, they may make some actors do things that that aren't actually rehearsed. But the response of the audience, it can teach you stuff. It can, you know, just, it's just, they're another scene partner. When you say it can teach you stuff, what can it teach you? Well, particularly in like the preview period, I find audiences' responses can uh, give me some indication of where a laugh might be or where I need to, to pause a little bit more or, you know, just little bits of information like that. They can go, oh, no, we need, we need this. We need more time here or we didn't quite hear that. We've got to slow it down or whatever, you know. David Abelis. Your role is more of a comic role. So are you also listening for the laughs? I think you have. I mean, especially in a live piece of theater, they are the missing piece. That's what, like Yana was saying, in rehearsals, you don't have the benefit of the audience to inform where the laughs are or what the laughs or what the humor is. And I think that's what's so great about about theater as opposed to, you know, film or TV is you, they are in the room with you and they are as much of a part of it. And so, especially when you're doing comedy, there's a, a benefit to that, to have a very, you know, instantaneous sort of barometer of what's working and what's not. I've heard a lot of comics talk about that and you kind of woodshed and, and figure out what, 
uh, hot rhythms and, and different bits and things like that. And I think that preview periods are really, are, are really useful for that. So yes, I mean, I think in our piece, Ron does sort of serve that function a bit more. So I'm, I'm, I'm keyed into that, certainly. Do you ever sit there and go, holy cow? <laughs> well, yeah, I was actually preparing my answer for that question because I'm listening <laughs> to them. Um, I, I do, but I think for me, just like John said, I think mostly... For me, it's been meeting some of the audience afterwards or, you know, some of the comments we, we, we love, you know, having uh, comments on Instagram or, or Twitter or somebody you know, like throws out something and where you start to realize just how many people it's staggering. I mean, it's incomprehensible how many people have been affected by this canon and by what JK Rowling is this world that she's made and created. But, you know, I think like all actors have to sort of filter that out to a certain extent when you're telling this story, because this is the... This is these are these characters in the situation in, that we're yeah, that we're doing. Piece, so yeah. you can't bring the sort of weight of all of that to every moment. But what you can do is it is a very rich background and context that you can draw on. And certainly, you know, it's deeper than I ever imagined before doing this job that it could be. It seems that you also have to focus not merely on your lines or on the interactions, but you've got a lot of real life cgi to deal with as well <laughs> it's a ride there's a lot of technical aspects to the show what i really love about working with this creative team is that yes there are big production effects certainly there are incredible production to do with lighting and big set pieces and all of that but honestly at its core most of the magic that we do most of the illusions we do are old-fashioned vaudevillian theater magic done in a very specific and very advanced way that is again incredibly theatrical at its heart so we're not putting a movie up on stage we're involved in a piece of theater that the audience is is as much a part of and they're sort of in on the on the games and the tricks and that's what makes the magic in that room so visceral and i think that's what gets those gasps that we <laughs> that we really appreciate every every day. Yeah. Well, from from sitting in the audience, you know, sometimes I could tell it's a, you know, how it's working. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I can't. I watch stuff from the wings or have watched things from the wings and I already know how things are working and I'm from the wings and amazed <laughs> at how magical it looks. From the audience's sake, I know that it's almost as if there's a black curtain. It's, I mean, it's done with lighting that you can't see right behind. I should say we've all signed a six-page NDA. But when you're on the side and you're kind of being able to see a little bit behind there, you still get the magic. Yes, yes. No one was more surprised than I was because, the. I mean, this was during rehearsal in the theater. And when I, at the time that I was able to do that, I already knew how everything was done. But I had never seen that particular thing that I was watching. So I made a point of going to try and watch it and was amazed that I was like, wow, that looks amazing, even from here. So, yeah. What's it like for you, John, being on the side, sometimes in New York, and then being on stage? How is the view different? I mean, there's nothing like the view from on stage. Because... Uh, I remember the first time I'd been I'd been offered the job to understudy and they said come and see the show make sure that you want to this is what you want to do and come see the all of the effects that you might have to do and and so I remember sitting down to watch it and just being blown away and floored by the effects and 
and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to get to do this someday, hopefully. This is incredible. And it's always good to check back into that moment mm -hmm. because I think this play is about wizards who um, treat magic like it's their cell phone. It's something, and you know, we forget just how magical a cell phone is, that it can, right. it can do all of these incredible things. And magic is this sort of the same way in, our, in this world of the play. And it's easy to forget just how incredible the effects are because as characters, it's just things we do. And so I always have to check back into that moment of first seeing it and going, wow. What about the first time you rehearsed with a wand? <laughs> <laughs> that was a good moment. Yeah. I remember holding the... So Harry has a specific wand that he has in the show. And I remember going on stage to rehearse as an understudy and grabbing that Harry wand and going, was well, this okay that I use this wand? I mean, I'm not really Harry. And, mm -hmm. and then realizing, no, for this moment, I am. You know, they hold a lot of symbolic power. You guys move in ways that obviously require wires. Can I ask, <laughs> are they on all the time? Are they off and on? Can I even ask that? One of our illusion team made a really good point, and I think I, I kind of go back to this. We always get this question because the magic is so spectacular in the show and because people are floored by it. They feel like they want to know how it works. But... What he said was they don't because the minute that you do kind of reveal that it loses something. And also people who will hear that and not believe that that's how it's done anyway, because they won't believe that maybe it could be done as simply as that, or it could be done as whatever the case. So I think, it, you know, obviously we're also contractually bound not to reveal how those things work. But at the same time, I also think it's better not to just because there is something so sort of magical about those moments when they happen and to... There's also a couple of things where you're not actually doing anything and you're watching things right. from the stage uh, without going into details about it, but we could say it's sort of toward the end of part one. Those moments, are they, how do you respond to them? I mean, you see them in a way, the way I'm seeing them. Yeah, we've seen them a lot more, but yeah. <laughs> but I think if I were an audience member, watching the show, I'd have those, like I said, we play a game with the audience and I think you have the two parts of your brain. That's what theater essentially is, is willfully suspending your disbelief for the time that you're there and you're playing a reality of a moment. So we're playing an imagination game with the audience. So on one part of your brain, you know that what you're seeing isn't real life. You know that, you know, Harry and his son are characters being portrayed on stage and are not having the actual... But you suspend that disbelief and you go along for the ride. And I think that that's exactly the same muscle that's being worked when you're watching these illusions. Because you may know that there is some trick being played or something, but it doesn't really detract from the, the majesty of it because you are suspending that disbelief and going along for the ride with, with the rest of the, of the theater. And that's what, what makes it so, so brilliant. Is this exactly the same production as New York? Yes, yes. For the production elements, what I mean to say is that there's no skimping here. This is the same production value. We have the same elements. It's the same show. Now, it's not the same show because there's a whole different cast of people doing it. And by virtue of that, again, because we're, playing, we're in theater, every time you put a new person in a role, there's something new that comes to, to that role and to that story. But as far as the script and the production elements, yes, it's on par with the, with what's on Broadway and in London and in Australia and soon to be in Germany and in Toronto. So, yes. Seven hours. 
What's it like to learn your lines for seven hours and not screw up, Yana? <laughs> oh, well, I can't answer that question. <laughs> I screw up all the time. Um, is it really seven hours? Wow. No, it seems I, think, shorter. I think the span of day. <laughs> oh, you know, okay. Your, but the yeah. actual playing time um, is... Yeah, I mean, with one exception, none of us really carries that ball for seven hours. So you commit to your piece of the story. And, you know, when you string that all together, for me, it's not certainly not seven hours. I don't know if it's a, a full two-hour play for me when I put all my pieces together. But, yeah, each of us protects that part of the story that we are telling because all together the sum is greater than the little parts like that do you have do, are, are you in costume when i saw opening night harry dropped his wand <laughs> wow. why would you bring that up <laughs> those uh, kind of th <laughs> yeah those things happen i mean it is live theater that was a uh, uh, you know you talked about that first time holding that wand and how special that was and then there I go on a live performance and clunk, clunk, clunk. And I think, oh boy. Well, actually, you know, from my perspective, that was a good thing. Yeah. And the reason why is because I'm going to a lot of theater. And the separation between the actors on stage and the audience breaking that fourth wall, you kind of see it in a lot of theaters, particularly smaller theaters. When I'm at the current, a part of me, and maybe it's because of the movies, is actually seeing this almost as I'm watching a movie. And there's a tendency to forget that I've got John, I've got David, I've got Yana on stage as people. And when you did that, suddenly I'm going, holy cow, I'm watching this live. Yeah. I think that that's actually a really good point is that because, and because we've been rehearsing for so long and, 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 you know, we do so much work to perfect all of the little details and because the show is so technical and just because of the nature of the storytelling, we don't have an opportunity to kind of look at the audience and wink or do anything that's sort of, I've done a lot of Shakespeare and a lot of times you get to turn out to the audience and speak to them right. and we don't get to do that in, in this play. But there are always those moments every night because it is live that things happen and they don't necessarily happen the way that we plan them to and that's why we do it i mean that's exciting it's kind of the best it's kind of the best because i don't know like anybody who's been to the theater and seen something go wrong or whatever it, inevitably the audience loves it it's like it you know because it reminds everybody that here we are in this special moment together it's never going to happen this way again yeah. we're all like right here present in this thing and isn't it great that something like that happened that brings it almost always brings the audience closer to the production and to the story mm -hmm. i mean it really i kind of i mean there's like gifts really unless it's i mean within reason well i mean you're gonna drop lines here or there Sometimes. i would guess mm -hmm. and and then you have to pick each other up mm -hmm. and and that's part of the fun i guess I don't know if I'd say it's part of the fun, but it is It is a fun thing that happens sometimes. And uh, it's great when that kind of thing happens because you sometimes can lose a little faith in the connection that we all have. But when things like that happen on stage and some other actor is like so in that they can, you know, make that mistake look like a seamless thing that always happens. It's like, oh yeah, we're all there for each other and it, it feels really good. 
J.K. Rowling is very political. Some of that seeps in, particularly in part two. I found as the books progressed, as, as each successive book came out, she was getting more political. And they be actually became much more interesting to me because I was not as interested in the kids' book quality of the first couple of books. But as they got into three, four, five, six, seven, she, I think, was getting very political. And you could feel, I mean, even with Hermione, you know, Hermione crusading for the house elves was maybe the first little inkling of where she wanted to go politically. But her books are very political. So if there's something in the play that you're feeling, she's had a hand in that. Part of the backdrop for Hermione is that she's part muggle. So yeah. there's some racism coming in too. It's not the racism we know, but there's a metaphorical racism which sits at the back of the entire book, yeah. the entire play, and all of the books. She certainly has sympathies for people who are downtrodden. You've all done television and film. Can you relate setting up your work in that with this? Is it a completely different process? I mean, I've done very little TV, but in my experience, yes, it's a hugely different process. I mean, a couple of little roles on, you know, Law and Order here and there, and, and basically I show up on the day, and they say, stand here, say your line, and uh, we do it as quickly and as efficiently as possible, and they move on. And, and with this, um, the beauty of doing theater like this is we had eight weeks in a studio in Berkeley to rehearse the play, and then we had four weeks on stage to do technical rehearsals. And then we had another four or five weeks to perform in front of audiences before we officially opened. So that was almost four months to work on um, the play itself. And, and now we get to run it and, and, and continue to, to develop the work. Whereas, you know, on TV and film, it's, it's often so quick. And it feels so fast. And it very, it very, in TV and film, it very much depends on how much you have to do. Yeah. So if you're, you know, if you're a lead or a series lead or something, then maybe the, maybe it is. I've never had that experience per se. But for me, I know the quality of stuff that I often get to do on TV is so it's so small and so like just a moment that the preparation is not the same at all. But even if it weren't, I mean, I've, I would assume, and I haven't, again, like I haven't had a, a lead in a series or whatever, but I do know that the way, film, the, the technical way those things are, are done is so differently. What's mm -hmm. nice about theater, and I think what every actor enjoys about theater is that you go on the whole arc from start to finish of the mm -hmm. story in order. And so what's nice is you get to go through that chronological kind of development of both internal and, and external. Whereas if you're shooting a film, one day is is a scene from the the last act of the film, and you know there are many more technical constraints. There are camera angles. There's lots of things you don't have as much freedom. But then when the camera is rolling, that reality of the moment needs to be the same in both in both. So the, so I think it's something to do with size. It's something to do with the scope of things. Theater feels more grand. It feels like you have more freedom to to move physically than you do maybe within a certain shot on whatever, but, but at its core, the technique, the acting technique has to be similar in that we're, you're trying to bring reality into the moment that you're playing. Is the fact that the play is chronological, does that help you? Because I know in film, obviously you're, you're, you're bouncing. Yeah, I, I, I would say so. Definitely. I mean, I think you are able to see 
the story in a, in a fuller way when you're able to go through all of the emotional um, uh, development of the story in chronological order. It's a lot harder to jump into a certain state of mind or situation. And that's often the case when it comes to uh, a TV show or a film. Well, John Skelly, for you, I mean, that part of it, because you're dealing with a continuing development in your relationship with Albus, mm -hmm. with your son, I guess if you did it out of sequence, it could be a problem. Well, yeah. I mean, and, you know, it's not to say we haven't done it out of sequence. Of course, when we're rehearsing the play, we're jumping all around. You go and do uh, an hour of magic work, and then you go and do the scene from Act 3, and then you go back and, and run part of Act 1. And so, you know, that first day that we get to run it in sequence with everything put together is a really, really big day, that first run through, because it teaches you so much about the development of the character. And, um, you know, you can, you can get very um, into the details of every scene, and then you realize, oh, this is a bigger story, and I have more work to do to develop the, the arc and where this is going overall. What do you folks do between, when you're doing a Sunday, what do you do between shows? Um, eat, eat, <laughs> eat, sleep. Um, sleep, complain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's not a ton of time. It's um, well, a couple hours, so it's usually grabbing dinner and I'm, you know, I'll watch a little TV on my iPad or something and just relax and try to... Um, get as much rest as I can and focus up on the next for the next show. I noticed that all three of you stay in British accents. I didn't catch any flaws. Oh. How easy or hard is that for each of you? It's weirdly easy. It feels like as soon as I walk through the stage door, I'm suddenly British. <laughs> and I don't stop being British until I get on the BART or something. It just, it's because we're living in it for so long every day and have been for so long, so many months. It's kind of bizarre how many of us just kind of talk to each other like that while we're at work. It's yeah, we weird. Do. Back, backstage, <laughs> a lot of people are speaking to each other in British accents yeah. all the time. It's just sort so of easier. Put, put on a little British accent. Uh, oh, uh, no. <laughs> I see, I mean, but, see, but see, the hard thing is, is actually, is um, it's, it's something different to be asked to do it, you know, and uh, all of a sudden. And it's something um, else to sort of, when you step into the character, it, it, it just feels... It, it's like putting on a putting on a suit jacket or something. It feels good. In in a way, when you step into the character, it's a different character. You're Harry. You're Ron. You're Hermione. And to go from being John or David or Yana, that's a little hard because you're not that character. And that's that's the life we've chosen. <laughs> that's the name of the game, really. I mean, I think. I think you get a lot of help by the book and the writing. I mean, like I was, I was going to say, you know, this is a British play written by a British playwright. And so a lot of the language lends itself to that and the flow of it, we hear it in that way. So it becomes only natural to then take on that accent, both on stage and off, because we're immersed in it. Well, all of you are experienced actors. Were you always interested in acting, David? No. I went to drama school after university. So I didn't know until I did a play my senior year of college, so when I was 21, that made me want to be an actor. But before that, I, I didn't know. I played a lot of baseball. I was a musician, first and foremost, from a young age. And um, then I did a Tom Stoppard play, decided to go to drama school, and the rest is history. And that's, that's What was the play? Travesties. 
And that caught you. <laughs> yeah, it did. It did. Had you ever performed musically in public? Oh, a lot. Yeah, that was mostly what I did both in high school and in college. I, I, I played a lot of piano. I, was, I, tra I trained as a classical pianist and then moved over to, to some jazz. And then I, I played in bands. I played guitar and I sing. So I was doing any and all music I could, singing a lot of choirs. Yeah, and this took me by surprise. Were you ever in musicals? No, well, that well, I was at a really young as a kid in high school. I played in the I played piano for them, or you know, my sister was always doing musicals. I I really it it was a late. I got bitten by the bug very late, and then did one musical in college, and then after I graduated drama school, did a bunch of musicals because. I happened to be, I was musical, so I could, I, you know, I, I could pick up quickly and I played instruments, which helped in a lot of other productions as well. So now I've done a lot of musicals, but you know, no. no, no. <laughs> and John Scally, what about you? What got you into acting? Um, mm, my, my deep desire for attention. <laughs> no, I don't know. No, I mean, when I was a kid, I remember doing a couple of school plays and I just had so much fun. I mean, and was young, I was maybe seven years old. And um, I remember I played the the king of the jungle in second grade in my production of It's a Jungle Out There, I think it was called. I went Ooh, search, revival. Yeah, searching for the key to happiness. And I got cast as, as the king, Leo the Lion. And I do remember um, apparently my, my parents said I... The choir teacher who directed it was giving a speech, and I went up to her and I said, "Excuse me, if I could say a few words too." Um, so I do, I do think there was a part of me that always loved being in front of people and performing, and then it went away. Um, uh, you know, I did a lot of sports as a kid and things like that, and then somewhere around high school, I I went, you know, football. I may not have a future in in professional football, but actually, those people doing the plays. They seem like they're having a lot of fun. I want to go do that. Well, you've also made mention here earlier that you very rarely do TV or film, and I guess that's partly by choice because you like theater? Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, I have done a lot of theater, and so that is where my career has gone. I would love to do more TV and film. I would love the experience of doing that. As a younger actor, I spend a lot of time in Minneapolis, and so there isn't a lot of TV and film production there. And then when I got to New York, I was doing a lot of regional theater, which would take me out of New York City. And so I wasn't available to audition for a lot of things. But absolutely, I'd love to do more of it. I think it's uh, incredibly fun. And Yana, now you're from Canada. Mm -hmm. Did you always want to be an actor? That's a funny question. I think probably yes deep in my heart but I never really acknowledged it because that was not something that seemed realistic or viable in my background so I didn't really connect to it until I was in university already training to be a teacher doing theater on the side and that's when I started to look at it more seriously as a career. What was your big break? There were a couple things I did in theater actually on Toronto stages that were well critiqued that you might call a big break and so people started paying attention and watching what I did. Well as a Canadian coming down and living in the U.S. for a while now <laughs> your country's a lot saner. Um, <laughs> uh, I, you have something called the fifth here right? I'm gonna take the fifth. <laughs> I mean I look at Canadians go hi you guys we certainly have our issues, and we have some crazy people in positions of power in different uh, provinces and whatnot. 
yeah, there are some different things that happen there than that make life somehow a little bit easier. When you're going into a role, do you take stuff from other roles or do you separate it out? How do you guys deal with that? If you understand what I mean, do you like, oh, well, one from column A, one from column B, and now I've got column C? I don't know. I mean, certainly every job that I've done has taught something about how to do the, the job better and, and how to be a better actor. And I think, so those things I take from it. But I, yeah, I would say it, it sort of comes about a little bit more organically for me than, than sort of saying, oh, I'm going to pick that and choose that. It, it, it's a really a matter of the rehearsal and the time spent in rehearsal. And then all of a sudden, two months later, you sort of think, oh, I have a sort of a character developing here. Or sometimes uh, you, the walk develops or things like that. But those things, um, they don't feel like choices to me no, as so much. Like more organic things that come to you, hopefully, as you, uh, as you get older in the business and get a little wiser and more experience, you find out, you know, that maybe you can make this choice a little bit more easily, or mm -hmm. maybe you don't have to push here. You know, if you've battled all your life with certain issues about how you produce your voice, like all those things layer on and you learn from them as you progress as an actor but i don't i, I don't think i've ever said oh i think i'll draw from cleopatra in this <laughs> when you look at say the acting teachers stella adler or the meisner method whatever do you all learn from those or do you have your own special techniques so i went to drama school in london i found going there that it was much less like here they're in new york there are certain studios and you learn a method, you, you know, you learn a particular method in each studio and they're very regimented and different. Where I went to school, we didn't have, like, I went to Lambda in London and they drew from all sorts of different things. And we didn't know, I didn't know what was Meisner, what was, yeah. what was, you know, it, so it was essentially with the mindset of whatever works to get you there is good. And if you can't use it, then you use something else. So I guess in answer to that question, no, I, I don't have a particular training method by which I, I approach everything. But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised to learn that how I do approach things is a method. I just don't know. What it is. You know, I, I, we weren't trained that way. So I think that that's a, that it seems to me that that's a more American uh, drama uh, training to step inside a studio and, and, uh, and abide by a certain kind of set of rules and techniques. I did study some Meisner and we studied some Stanislavski techniques and things like that. And But ultimately, when you get into a room with, in this case, 35 other actors, and you sort of have, you have to sort of throw that away unless you have a director who's very specific about the way that we're going to work. Um, and sometimes you do get in those rooms and you have to really adjust the way you're working. In this case, everyone has their own approach and we're all coming to it from a little bit of a different background in a different way and and then it's about you know marrying all of those approaches into a cohesive story that we're going to tell together at the end of the show when you're going out for your bows what goes through your mind Whew. it is a journey to get to the final scene and usually i'm covered in sweat and tears but it's a beautiful moment to go out and the house lights come up a little bit and you get to see the people pretty much for the first time that we've and spent really all, yeah, and really hear them that we spent all day with. And that's the lovely thing about this play too, is that we do get to spend a long time with people and share our day with them. And I think we really share an experience together, which is beautiful. 
You've been listening to a discussion with actors John Skelling, who plays Harry Potter, Yana McIntosh, who plays Hermione, and David Abelis, who plays Ron Weasley, in J.K. Rowling's sequel to her Harry Potter books, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which is playing in two parts at the Curran Theater in San Francisco. For more information, you can go to sfcurran.com.